Northwestern Medicine, relentless in their pursuit of better health care. Learn more at nm.org slash better. On your beautiful Mother's Day morning. And that means it's time for Dr. Kevin Mose, Chief Medical Officer, Northwestern Central DuPage Hospital. Dr. Most, my friend, welcome to the program. Very nice to have you on here. Dean, how are you doing? And happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there taking some time to listen to you. There you go. And to your mom, who I'm sure you're going to be spending some time with uh, today uh, as well. So uh, we wish everyone a very happy Mother's Day. And, you know, could there be a a happier mom than a healthy mom? Uh, We've talked uh, so many times in the past about uh, breast health. On the fight against breast cancer, I don't know how many decades that we have been particularly doing that on this show with our uh, three-hour specials uh, that we've been doing. They go back, you know what, the first one was in 1996. I happened to run across the tapes. That's how long ago that was. (laughs) We were still using actual tape to record the shows. Uh, but our our very first one was called The Silent War, The Fight Against Breast Cancer, 1996. And we've been pretty much been doing them uh, ever since. And what strides, uh, Kevin Wright, that we've made in all of those years in the fight against breast cancer and many other cancers oh. as well? Oh, a- absolutely. And, and really, kudos to you because your brain, excuse me, your breast cancer special is really uh so educational to people. You always have great guests on there. You're always cutting edge. And uh, really just the awareness and impact that your show has made on, on breast cancers, especially in the Chicago area, is is instrumental to some of the changes that we've seen. So what, what have been some of the major strides, do you think, that there have been? Well, you know, it's interesting, Dean. I think there's there's a wide range of major strides. And when we look at everything from diagnosis all the way to treatment, um, there's been a lot that's happened. Now, this week, something major happened. But when we talk about diagnosis, you know, we used to do mammograms with, you know, flat plates and uh, x-ray equipment. And now we're advanced to MRI. We do 3D. We do um, um, three-dimensional breast cancer screening. So, the screening portion of it has really, from a technology point of view, advanced dramatically in the past 10, 15 years. So the, uh, the actual imaging itself for a, mama- a mammogram uh, is, is no longer uh, pressed, uh, which was extremely painful uh, and prevented a lot of people uh, from going to get the test because of the pain that was involved. Is that no longer the case, or is it the case with an MRI now that you don't have to do that? Well, yes to yes and no to your question. Well, we still do compress the breast for our imaging, so certainly it still is a little uncomfortable, but, um, but the technology now that can pick it up so much earlier in, in, in the earlier stage is so important. And then the MRI, as well as ultrasound that we use, those are non-painful tests and often used for follow-up testing. Um, But certainly the advances in mammography from reading the films and getting the quality of the films uh, enhanced has happened so much in the past 10, 15 years. Yeah, survival rates, how how are we doing with uh, breast cancer? Does that that depend on uh, how quickly you discover it? Exactly. But as you would expect, the better we get at identifying early, 
the better we have for outcomes. So certainly, and that's probably one of the biggest changes, you know, that came out this week where we're going to move that first mammogram from the age of 50 down to the age of 40. And uh, reasoning, there's many reasons to do that, but one we know, if you can find a breast cancer very early, something as simple as a lumpectomy can be done, which will eliminate the need for chemotherapy for, you know, for massive surgery. Um, and it really just enhances the quality of life as well as the quantity of life the earlier we can capture this uh, this cancer. Yeah, and actually there was some news this week as well about pancreatic cancer, which is, uh, you know, maybe one of the most aggressive or at least least treatable because by the time it's detected, it's generally too late to do anything about it. What was the news uh, regarding diagnoses of pancreatic cancer? Yeah, and, you know, you touched on it. You know, we don't have a good screening test for pancreatic cancer. And often, you know, the symptoms are just kind of vague and out there, and we really don't even know what to look for to even start to screening. But what we have done, and everyone's been hearing about AI for the past five or six months, well, a study came out from the Veterans Association as well as a, a group in Belgium that looked at 9 million patient records and 28,000 pancreatic cancer patients were involved in those records. And what they did is they said, hey, if we put an algorithm in place that looks at the symptoms of these individuals as well as many other things, we could identify pancreatic cancer three years before it's identified currently. Wow. That is just that's major groundbreaking yeah. as we start to roll it out and really it's going to show us the power of ai here is it because uh, it doesn't show up on regular scans because the there's so many organs in the body and it, it's not as fully visible is that why you can't see it well jim it's interesting you know people that let's say you um you go into the emergency room because you have X, Y, or Z that has nothing to do with pancreatic cancer, but we decide we're going to do a scan of you. And sometimes we inadvertently find it. We're not looking for that because that's not why we did the test, but we find it. So those people are the people that are lucky. They won the lottery, right? We found it because we were looking for something else, but the radiologist noted that that was present and now it's early enough. Because often by the time you have symptoms, where you're going to have discomfort on the right side, you're going to have yellowing in the eye. Now that cancer has spread outside the pancreas, often to the liver, to the gallbladder, to those areas, and now it's almost, in some cases, inoperable and really very difficult to treat. I was reading uh, a news story about a, a vaccine for pancreatic cancer. Uh, it was a, a study that was posted in Nature magazine, in which doctors in the U.S. and Germany used the mRNA vaccine, same vaccine type that was used to combat COVID, uh, and they uh, found some positive results uh, in uh, fighting pancreatic cancer. Have you heard anything about that, or is that just way, way in the early, early stages? Well, it's in the early stages, but it's actually very promising as well. So what happens is when we, when we find we have a diagnosis of cancer, what happens is they'll go in and they'll take a biopsy, they'll take a portion of it out, and then we'll make a vaccine against that specific cancer and give that vaccine back to the person. So now the person's immune system is going to go and look for those cancer cells and attack them. Hmm. So 
mRNA, you know, we're all talking about it with COVID vaccines and how quickly it came up. But I'll, I'll tell you, the um, ability to do this on a smaller level where it's going to be specific for the specific cancer you have is going to be fascinating. Think about eliminating the side effects of chemotherapy and using your own body's immune system to fight a cancer and eliminate a cancer mm. and often one that we can't get radiation to or the chemotherapy is so toxic that we have to decide if it's really worth it. That's just it, it, just amazing to me. Uh, I remember on that very first breast cancer special that we did in 1996, one of my guests on that show was a news person, newscaster, journalist, Linda Ellerby. Remember Linda Ellerby? Yeah. From, uh, and she was on NBC. She, was she did that late night uh, yeah. news show. She was great. But also was one of the first people to really go public about breast cancer and full mastectomy. And she talked about that the only treatments there were at that time for breast cancer burn slash and poison uh you know burn it out with radiation slash it with mastectomy poison it with chemotherapy and look look at what kevin's talking about now dr most is talking about now with uh you know fighting cancer cells with your own cancer cells (laughs) uh absolutely amazing and uh you know this uh what the incident uh kevin that you're talking about i don't think i've ever told you this that when I had my thyroid cancer in uh, 2007, it was found by mistake, just like what you're talking about, where they were looking for something else, and they just happened to find it. Uh, you know how these doctors, when they're giving you physical uh, exams, uh, they'll put the stethoscope on your back and you know tell you to breathe, exhale, exhale. What are you listening for then exactly, Kevin? Or is that just a joke well, you doctors like to do? AM radio. On people. <laughs> no, no. See if you can hear John Williams yeah. show. Yeah. Trying to get the, the 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 quick joke of the week. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, two things, Dean. I, I remember very clearly when you were diagnosed with thyroid cancer because we had many many conversations right. at that time. You were the first one I went to. I said, "I don't even know what a thyroid is." <laughs> <laughs> Kevin walked me through all of this. That's right. <laughs> Well, and, you know, and rightly so, the concerns you had just from the cancer itself, but also your voice is how you communicate with people and how you, that's your occupation. And with thyroid cancer, when we remove the thyroid and we do surgery there, there's a nerve that can actually impact the voice. So, you know, we made sure that you got in the right hands with the expert and the right person to do your surgery, yep. which was great. But as far as listening to the lungs, we're not doing that to waste time. We're actually <laughs> like I'm charging them a hundred bucks. Yeah. I better make it good. Yeah, I, I got to say at least three minutes in here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we're doing a couple things. Well, we're listening obviously to the air, whether it's moving in and moving out, as well as it should from the lungs. We're listening for it, yeah, correct. So you're hearing the lungs from the, the from the from ba- the from my back. Absolutely. Wow. Yep. So we're listening to your lungs from air moving in, air moving out, making sure that every area, we listen in about six different places when we're looking in the back to make sure that each of the lobes is working appropriately. Now, the funny thing is, you know, you talk about when we put our stethoscope, how about when you put our stethoscope on your neck? You're like, what are you listening to on my neck? Yeah. And actually what we're listening to is the carotid artery there mm. to see if there's something called a brewery. And a brewery is where there's turbulent flow, which can show blockage in the carotid artery, mm. which can lead to stroke and can lead to other problems. Mm. So 
we're not just wasting time. We're actually doing things when we're listening of to course. the heart. So those things really the work, music. then. Of course, of those course. stethoscopes really work. But you know, you, you know, well, that's why they have to wear them around their their necks like that. <laughs> it's like Groucho Marx. I just thought they just wore them because they look cool. The uh, <laughs> my my uh, physician uh, at the time who was doing all of that, and while they were doing that, just rested uh, his hand on my shoulder while he was doing that, and he goes, "Huh, I feel a little lump right here." That's weird. Let's uh, well, we should do a little test on that. Completely by mistake, I had no symptoms, and that was the thyroid. I have nothing. I had no clue whatsoever. And that's that, how he found it. That's how he found it. We did some tests, and that's how they found it. Wow! So listen to your doctors uh, <laughs> all the time is the moral to that story. Let me take a quick break, and we'll come back. Your questions for Doctor Kevin Most are next. Coming up a little bit later on in the show, an uh, in interview, one-on-one interview that I did the other day with Michael J. Fox, uh, one of the biggest stars in the world at one time, now probably best known for his uh, dealing with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease and uh, you know what kind of effect it had on him in the early stages. And now, 29 years later after his diagnosis, how he is dealing with it today. Uh, we'll share that uh, interview with you uh, coming up later on, Kevin, that's probably something we ought to get into uh, one of these Sunday mornings and talk a little bit more about Parkinson's. Uh, but this Michael J. Fox story is uh, it's stunning. It's heartbreaking. Uh, the the courage that this man has uh, in doing, uh, you know, going public with this and uh, the amount of money that he's raised for Parkinson's research is uh, just nothing nothing short of uh, admirable. It's amazing. Uh, question on our uh, text line. Not sure if you're talking about COVID today. We are. Uh, but it says, I've had five vaccines, the last one being in September 2022, which I assume was the bivalent. Uh, do I need a booster now? I'm 71 and in fairly good health. Yep. <laughs> you, you walked right into that question. Absolutely, you do. So right now, what happened just in the past month is we did approve that second booster. And if you remember, we talked that the U.K. and Canada had done this months before us. We had this surplus of vaccine. We know that the, the antibodies wane after about six months. So we're wondering, why didn't the CDC and FDA come forward and say it's time for a booster for at least those over the age of 60, over the age of 60? So I would certainly go and get it especially, and it's not like you have to rush out today, but we know that the number of vaccines that are still available, the government has purchased, is decreasing. And we're eventually going to get to a point where, depending on your insurance, is whether or not it's going to be covered. Now, at the age of 70, you're on Medicare, it will be covered. But certainly getting the vaccine right now is very appropriate for you because you're well beyond the six months waiting period and at your age so i would strongly recommend it and did, uh, are we on our own now paying for vaccines and tests and all that i forget what the exact date was where uh, it was no longer covered yeah the date was thursday and so it is no longer covered but i would tell people there are still tests available the government has bought um, a series of these so until those are all distributed certainly you can still get them so going on to covidtest.gov you can order tests right now, the home tests. I would strongly recommend doing it because it's been very clear that insurance companies are no longer going to pay for the home test, and you'll be buying those from pharmacies instead of having them shipped free to you from the government. 
So we all paid for them with our taxes, but I would certainly say go because eventually the ones that we purchase are going to be gone and it's going to be back on the dollar of the individual. Very good. Great information today. Uh, Kevin, I hope you have a great day today. Again, uh, the greatest gift uh, that you can give to your mom is to make sure that uh, she stays in great health. Uh, And that means, uh, you know, checking with your own physicians and arming yourself with all of the latest information. That's why we're so grateful for Dr. Kevin Most, Chief Medical Officer, Central DuPage Hospital. Kevin, enjoy your day today. You got it, Dean. We'll talk soon. Thank you very much.